Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Spirit of where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of the sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. The Perky Office Podcast is a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network, where we actively encourage Jews to think and engage in the search of how to be intentionally Jewish. Check us out on intentionaljew.com. Okay, so the mission says that we're now dealing with Rebbe Lezben Arach. Rebbe Lezben Arach, um, we're going to learn, hopefully, the end of today. Rebbe Lezben Arach was, um, one, of the, was the, the, one of the premier students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and he was the subject of a machlokas, of a difference of opinion between Abishol and um, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, is who was the premier student. Was it Eliezer ben Hurkinus or was it Eliezer ben Arach? Okay, we'll get there. But before we get there, Rabbi Eliezer ben Arach, what, the praise that his Rebbe gave him was that he was a mayon hamizgaber, that he was a, sp- a spring that ever gathers force. And when he was asked what's the best quality the person should develop, he said that it is a lave tov, it is a good heart. And what was the worst quality that a person should develop is a lave ra, is an evil heart. Clearly, we're going to have to come to some understanding of what the difference between a lave tov and an ayin tov is, and a lave ra and an ayin ra, between a good heart and a good I'm in a bad heart and a good, I'm a good eye and a bad eye. But that, again, we'll wait on that. Let's first discuss what is a mayanamizgaber. What is this praise that his Rebbe gave him, that he is an ever rejuvenating spring? An ever rejuvenating spring, I think, would mean that it's a person who is able to be mechadesh, was able to come up with new ideas, novel approaches, was a person who is, who is forever um, being able to see new things and nuances in text. And you've met teachers like that, that, you know, they can teach you a text and, and you can have learned the text a hundred times, but the way that they see it and that they continue to see it is with constant nuance. And every time they approach the text, they see something brand new. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, they're, they're just always fresh ideas and always new ideas and always, it's just like a, like a Mayan and Iskaber. Now that's a great quality to have, but that also is a bit of a talent that you're born with. There are some people that seem to have that better than others, the same way that people have a better memory than other people. And as we understood that the praise of his student when he said that he had a great memory was not really a praise of his memory. It was a praise of his ability to be an objective learner. Then the truth is, is that I don't think that this is merely about being a person who's able to be machadesh, a person who's able to come up with nuances and with new ideas of things, I think that there was something much deeper that was being presented here as to who is a person who can be a ma'ayonamizgaber, who is this person who is an ever-rejuvenating spring. I think that we also have to put in context, there's a famous Gemara that was said about Rebbe Lezben Arach, that when everybody went towards Yavna after the destruction of the temple, Rebbe Lezben Arach went to a place, the Muscus, he was invited to a, to a certain place, which was like a resort town. And when he got there, he got very involved and engaged in the town. And he really loved the place. And eventually what happened was that he got really into um, the lifestyle there. And he once went to read from the Torah. 
And he went to read the Pasuk that says, HaChodesh Hazat Lochem, this month is for you, the first of all months. It's the first commandment that's given to the Jewish people. Chapter 12 in the book of Exodus. And he couldn't read the words. And instead, he made a mistake in the words. And the phrase that came out was, HaCheresh Haya Libam, which means that their hearts were mute. That's a funny mistake to make, to say that HaCheresh Haya Libam, that their hearts were mute. To make a mistake, and we're talking about a rabbi, you're not talking about a person who's a first grader or a person who learned how to read Hebrew at the age of 70. You're talking about a person who was, you know, who was a, 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 a well-versed and a well-learned rabbi, already a well-established rabbi. And when he read those words, ha-chodesh, he read the word ha-cheresh, he saw Dalit as a resh. And, um, and instead of the word ha-chodesh um, hazeh, he saw the word haya. And, and you know, this would be a really pretty terrible sofer, a pretty terrible scribe that would, you know, that, that would be able to write words that he would make a mistake like that. And it wasn't a terrible scribe. This was the mistake that he made. It's a weird mistake to make. Why would he have made such a mistake that their hearts have become mute? Okay. To understand this, I want to tell you an amazing thing. For all of your lives you knew that when the Jewish people crossed the sea, they crossed the sea on one side of the, of the Red Sea, and they ended up on the other side of the Red Sea. The Egyptians were chasing after them, and they ended up in the Midbar. They ended up in the desert, and there in the desert, they ran away from the Egyptians, blah, blah, blah. The rest of the story, as we know, they got the Torah, ended up in Israel, and they lived happily ever after for about 15 minutes. Okay, but you know that you know that story about the Jews. The only problem is that Tysa says that's not the way the story happened. Tysa says that the way the story happened is that the Jewish people crossed over the sea in a semicircle. And that where they came out is where they entered. And that they weren't going to the other side. Tysus makes that many, many of the commentaries actually agree with this, Tosfos. And the reason that they learn it this way is because this was not a functional miracle. God didn't do this to save the Jewish people. God did this so that the Jewish people and the rest of the world would know that that I am the Lord your God that took you out of the land of Egypt. All he had to do was to prove that by destroying the Egyptians in the same sea that the Jewish people were saved in. The Jews had to walk through Yabasha. They had to walk through dry land. That's all they had to do. It wasn't to get them to the other side. You know the famous joke, why the chicken, why the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Why did the Jews cross the sea? It was not to get to the other side. It was to make a miracle. That this miracle was not a functional miracle. This miracle was what a miracle is meant to be. A miracle is meant to be a proof of God's existence in the world. I've mentioned once before that the word nace, miracle, and the word banner are the same Hebrew word, the word nace. And the reason is because that is what a miracle is. A miracle is a banner for God. It seems, though, to be a little strange that we would go in and out in the same place. Other than the message of God proving his might and ability to be able to destroy the Egyptians, what could have been another message that God was trying to send us with bringing us in and out of the same place in the sea. (sighs) 
Every human being has a desire for something new and fresh. When God gave us the first commandment, He gave us the first commandment, HaChodesh HaZalochem. This month is for you the first of all months. One day we'll talk about why the moon was the first commandment, why Rosh Chodesh was the first commandment. You would not necessarily put that on your list of first things you need to tell a fledgling nation is about Rosh Chodesh. Those of you that grew up in the Jewish day school system know that Rosh Chodesh was the day that the boys had to wear ties, the girls, the girls had to wear blue and white, and you got bagels, you know, bagels and locks for breakfast from, from the sisterhood. Like, What's Rosh Chodesh? Rosh Chodesh was the day where you missed first period because you said halal. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. And that was the first commandment that God gave to the Jewish people. Not for now. No, we're not going to deal with that now. But nevertheless, when God gave us that commandment, not only did he give us the commandment of Rosh Chodesh, but he also gave us the whole concept of Chidosh. Because that's what Rosh Chodesh is. He gave us the concept of renewing ourselves, of rejuvenating ourselves. That we have the ability to reinvent ourselves every month. This is not just the Yom Kippur thing. That on Yom Kippur, it's a Zman Kapara, it's a, it's a time of Kapara, time of atonement. So is Rosh Chodesh. And that's why the day before Rosh Chodesh, we have a thing called Yom Kippur Katan, because we can rework and rejuvenate ourselves. It's like an atonement time. We get cleansed, we get reworked, reshaped, and we can reinvent ourselves each and every month. The power of Chidush, the power of rejuvenating ourselves is something that's very critical. We, in fact, have a need to rejuvenate ourselves. And that's why reviewing our Torah learning is always very difficult for us. And we automatically say, I've already learned that. I've done that already. Because we like to keep fresh. There are two ways to be fresh. You can be fresh externally or you can be fresh internally. Being fresh externally means that you're floating from thing to thing. You go from job to job. You go from book to book. You go from, from study to study, from class to class, from subject to subject. And, and you're, you're relatively happy that way because you are satisfying your desire, your need to be mechadish. But it's not a deep chidosh. You're not really changing anything. You're the same person, the same you. Haven't changed much internally. All you've done is just changed your externals. You've changed your environment. You're outside. You've gone from a different place to a different place. When people move many times in their lifetime, because, you know, they go to a place, they stay there for a little while, not particularly happy. They move to another place. They're not going to be particularly happy there either because they're using this desire for chidush, this desire for newness. They're using it only in the external way, not in the internal way. And the internal way is that when a person is mechadesh, when a person, when a person grabs onto newness, a person grabs onto new things that changes their inside. When they change their perspective on things, they change their ability to be able to relate to and to see things from a different perspective. So then that is called newness. It's a fascinating, um, fascinating idea that uh, there was a, um, well, there was a Rosh Shiva that was very, had, a, had a very difficult time with his students, um, with his students reading a newspaper. And the reason that he had a difficult time with them reading a newspaper was nothing to do with them reading secular news, but it's because 
they had satisfied. He once said to one of his students that Rebarach Bear once said to one of his students that read a newspaper. He said to him, "You're not going to be mechadish anything today. You're not going to be able to come up with any new idea in your learning today because you've already satisfied your need for chiddush, your need for newness. Because you read the news, you read something you didn't know yesterday, and you've satisfied that need internally. You're not going to have the same drive to be able to find that inside of your learning." When Rebbe Lazar ben Arach went to this place, it was so new to him, the lifestyle was so new to him, the value system was so new to him, that he got so into it that he satisfied his power of chidosh, his power, his desire to be able to rejuvenate himself, to be able to see new things, to be able to see new perspectives, while standing in the same place, but just internally becoming different and recognizing that difference, and therefore being able to see that newness and that freshness he satisfied that by getting into his environment, by getting into the things around him. And therefore, when he approached his Torah, he saw the message in his front of his eyes, Hacheresh Hayalibam, his heart, the place that generated newness, the place that was able to feel and to understand depth, that was like a Cheresh, it had become mute because it had become satisfied, the body had become satisfied with seeing new things that the heart wasn't able, the heart became mute, the heart became incapable of becoming, of, of, of having the ability to be able to be mechadish, having the ability to be able to rejuvenate itself. Real chiddush comes from being here, being present and recognizing the newness, recognizing the things that I didn't see yesterday. I don't need to change my davening every day. I don't need to change my place every day. As a matter of fact, my job is to daven in the same place every day. So that when I stand in the same place, I can see in that place something new. Bilaam went to curse the Jewish people. He tried to curse the Jewish people. It wasn't successful. So he said, let's move the show. And he took his sacrifices. He moved to a new place. And then he tried to assert to curse the Jewish people. Didn't work. He said, let's move on. Because it's something with the place, something with the environment, with the surroundings that's not allowing me to do what I want to do, which is to curse the Jews. Avram Avinu goes to pray for Sdom. He's unsuccessful, completely unsuccessful. He goes out to exactly the same place the next day to pray again. And the Torah tells us he goes the next day to the same place. The Talmud tells us, anybody who sets a place for their davening and has the same place to daven in every single day, we say about that person at the funeral, what a pious person that is, what a humble person that is. From the students of Avram Avinu. Because that person went back to the place like Abraham did and said, you know what? It's not my environment that I can blame. It's not my surroundings that I can blame. The newness has to come from within me. And wherever I'm standing, I have the ability to see the world in a new way. I have the ability to see a fresh perspective, but I have to generate it from inside of myself. 
God tells Aaron to uh, Moshe Rabbeinu to take his shoes off. When Moshe saw the burning bush, and he sees the burning bush, he says, something weird is going on there. I want to approach it to see what's going on. And at that moment, God says to him, because the land that you're standing on is Admas Kaddish, it's holy land. No, it wasn't. Holy land was a couple of hundred feet in front of him where the burning bush was. He was still pretty far away from it. So why would God tell him? Because the place that you're standing is holy. Because what God was teaching Moshe Rabbeinu was take your feet off. Become sensitive to where you're standing. When you're not wearing shoes, you can touch the ground. You can feel the ground. Feel where you are. Take your shoes off. Your shoes are blocking you. Take your shoes off and feel where you are because where you're standing is holy. Everybody thinks holiness is over there. I'm going to get there, it's going to be better. I'm going to get there, it's going to be holy. Holiness is not there. Holiness is right here. And that's what God was teaching Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what God was teaching the Jewish people when they crossed the sea. It's not over there. It's not on the other side of the sea. It's right here. Come out on the same side, says Tysus. The same place you're coming out because this is where holiness is. It was here before you worked into the sea. It's here when you come out of the sea. All you had to do is open your eyes. And if you open your eyes, you will see. If you open your heart, you will feel that newness. You will feel that freshness. Because it's right here. You know, how many people walked by that rock? You know the famous story with the rock and Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva is 40 years old. He walks by a rock and he sees water dripping on the rock. Rabbi Akiva says, oh, that's a message. God's telling me that when water is dropping on a rock, look, it's making a hole inside the rock. If water, which is like Torah, can make a hole inside of a rock, so then certainly Torah can make a hole inside of me. Okay, I've got two problems with that. My first problem is, how many hundreds of thousands of people walked past that same rock that Rabbi Kiva walked past? This was not in some remote place. It was some place where the water was dripping. What did most people say when they saw the water dripping on a rock? Oh, something's leaking. Right? People saw this before. Nobody looked at it and goes, a divine message. And all of a sudden, Rabbi Kiva sees that. And what, Rabbi Kiva never saw the rock before. He never saw water dripping on a rock. He never saw He was a shepherd. He saw rocks and water. He saw things like that happening. But it was at this moment, Rabbi Akiva's heart was open. And when his heart was open, he was able to see a new message. And the very same rock that he looked at yesterday, the very same rock that he looked at the day before, and he saw it as a leaky rock, today he saw it as a divine message. Because when the heart is open, we can be mechadesh. We can see things from a different perspective. We can see things new. When you go to Krakow, there's a synagogue called the Isaac Synagogue. The story that they tell about the Isaac Synagogue, one of the most famous rabbinical stories, and I say rabbinical stories because every rabbi is using it in a drasha at some point in his career, that they say that they say it about this synagogue, about the Isaac Synagogue. Who is this fellow Isaac? He was a, a he was a, a Jew that was looking to make his to make his fame and fortune. He was looking to make his wealth, and he had a dream, and he had a dream that by the by the palace of the king, there was a treasure that was buried. And he went to the palace of the king, and there was guards that were guarding the bridge. It was supposed to be under the, the 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 wealth was supposed to be under a bridge. And the whole, to make a long story short, one day he's able to finally get under the bridge without the guards noticing him, and he starts to dig. And a guard catches him and says, "What are you doing?" And he says, "I'm digging for a treasure." So he says to him, "Why are you digging for treasure?" He says, "I had a dream that there was a treasure buried here." And the guard looks at him and says, "Wait a second." 
I know who you are. He says, how do you know? He says, you're Isaac. He says, how do you know that? He says, because I also had a dream. And my dream was that there was a treasure buried under a, a guy's bed in Krakow named Isaac. Isaac goes home and he digs under his bed and under his bed is sitting a treasure waiting for him. The, the things that we're looking for, he then used that money to build a synagogue. Okay, great. You know, we lived happily ever after. It's wonderful. But, but, but the point of the story is, is that very often what we're looking for is right there, right underneath our own beds, right in our own homes, right in our own lives. All we have to do is see it from a different perspective. And then all of a sudden it's a chiddush, it's something new, something amazing. That's what a Mayanam is Gabar is. Rabbi Lazar ben Arach's great quality was that he was able to rejuvenate. He was able to rejuvenate himself, not just look and see new things, but new things because he became a new person. His heart was so expansive, was so wide, that he was able to feel things differently every single time he approached them. And therefore, his relationship stayed fresh. His Torah stayed fresh. His life stayed fresh. Every day was a new adventure. One of my children, we'll probably talk about this child more because he's an incredible child, but one of my children, as is all of my children incredible, every one of them has an incredible mita. Every one of them. This one has a particularly incredible mita that she has the ability to be able to see something special in every single thing that happens. She will tell you about when she went to the grocery store to find a certain sugar and that she couldn't find the sugar and how she finally found it as if she was telling you about the story of Isaac going to find a million dollars stuck in some obscure place with the excitement and the enthusiasm that, and I looked and there was a thing in front of it and I couldn't find it. And then all of a sudden somebody moved it and, and it was right there. Because everything to her is a chiddush. Everything is something amazing. We have that ability to be mechadesh betuvay b'chol yoyim tomid. To be able to see something new and fresh and exciting every day in the things that we do. It all depends on how open is our heart. It's not from the intellect. It's from our feeling from our commitment, from our emotional connection to life and to the things that happen around us. And that's why when Rabbi Elizabeth Aruch was asked, what's the best quality? Rabbi Elizabeth Aruch said, a lave tov, it's a good heart. And that's why when he was asked, what's the worst quality? He said, it's a lave ra, a bad heart. Because if you don't have the emotional attachment to things, if you're not emotionally connected to things, then you're not going to be able to see them fresh. You're not going to be able to see the chidosh. You're not going to be able to look at them from a different perspective, to see something new in them every single time you approach them. That was his koach. That was his power. And that's what appeared in his midos, in his characteristics. Okay. 
Not surprisingly. No, I'm, I'm, I'm close. I finished all five rabbis. But there was a discussion in the Mishnah that the Mishnah then said, and I, I'm going to I'll put it up tomorrow and, and we'll see it, because we're going to reread the Mishnah tomorrow. We're also going to review the five rabbis and what each one of them was and what each one of them said. Um, if, I, if I get ambitious, I will make a chart, though I don't really know how to do that on the computer, but if I can, I will. And um, if not, I'll do it verbally. But in the Mishnah, we had said that there was a difference of opinion between Eliezer, between Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai and Abba Shaul, two the teacher and another, another great, um, great rabbi, as to who the premier student was. If one of them was sitting in a scale, which one would weigh out the rest? And um, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai said it was Eliezer ben Hurkinus, was number one. And Abishol said that it was number five. Now, number one was the one that said it was a, was a cistern that never lost the drop. Number five was the Mayan of Gaber was the ever-rejuvenating spring. What's the difference between the two? And was it about good heart, bad heart? Was it about cisterns versus springs? What was the point of disagreement between Abishol and Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai? And then when they presented the good characteristics, Rabbi, Lazar, Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, that Rabbi Lazar ben Arachs is the best because that one, out, that one encompasses all the others. And when they presented the worst, he said, Rabbi Lazar ben Arachs, number five, the one we did today, is the worst because it encompasses all the others. And Abishol did not argue there. There, Abishol didn't say a word. So what exactly was that disagreement between Abishol and Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai in the first part of the Mishnah, which was talking about their qualities, but not in the manifestations of those qualities, which were the, which were the, um, the Derech Yishara, the, the pathways that each one of the rabbis said that they should work on. Anyway, that will be tomorrow. And believe Neder, truly, we will finish the Mishnah in Yetz Hashem tomorrow. And that, but we're not done with these guys, because now each one of them is going to say three things. So the next five Mishnayos, we're now going to have to cap them and take them back to this whole string of, for example, with, with Rabbi Lazar, the last one, Rabbi Lazar ben Arach, who says he was a, um, an ever-rejuvenating spring, who said good, t- good heart, bad heart. Well, we're going to have to look at his Mishnah and understand the three things that he said, how that fits in to his yes. whole outlook of the world.